the first movie of this whole series of uh, women in danger films was obviously Halloween, which mm. I think, and we're going to get to Halloween in just a moment. I think it's a pretty good picture. But it captured an enormous audience. It did millions of dollars worth of business. And then the sleaze merchants who came along looked at that movie and tried to put their finger on what it was about it that was so successful. And they said, well, women being chased by a killer, that's it. Mm -hmm. Let's go out and hire us some more women and some more killers and make us some money. That's why they call these things exploitation films, mm -hmm. these rotten ones, because they exploit one element and make it sort of sick. Mm -hmm. Also, many of the attacks in these films take on uh, women who are scantily clad. And I think that the intent here is to also exploit the sex angle in these pictures. The nudity is always gratuitous. It's just put in the film only to titillate the audience and maybe make one other point, that women who dress this way or merely uncover their bodies are somehow asking for trouble and somehow deserve the trouble they get. That's a very sick idea. Hello, listening people. Hello. Oh, hello there. How are you? Yeah, good. How are you? Oh, I like the previous voice you did. Go yeah, back to, good. How are you? Do that for the whole episode. Okay. And while you do that, I just go throughout all of it. Oh, the ch 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 that thing. That's not how it goes, though. Isn't? No. Is it not? We'll get there. Okay. Hello, people. I am your disembodied host, Ryan Slowinski. And I'm Bartek. I'm a devil. I'm Bartek. I'm a whispering devil from Poland. Poland. It's a land for Poles. All the shopkeepers are vendors. Hey, as a, as a fellow Polish uh, person or pe people of Polish descent, how do you feel about people like us being called Poles? Do you like that? I'm completely fine with You're that. You're completely fine with that? Yeah. Does it not sound weird from, to the English ear, at least, where you're like, eh, those poles. That's up to them, man. That's up to... Uh, I, we, just, we've, I feel we've... like there's a sexual <laughs> connotation to it for some reason, like those filthy poles. Oh, look at that pole dancing. Exactly. He's doing really well. He's, do he's doing really well. That's the president, by the way. <laughs> My friend. Your friend. Oh, no, don't get on that plane. Oh, that's real. <laughs> that's real. <laughs> Barta killed a Polish yeah. president. If you want context for that, uh, listen to every episode until this one. I'm sure we've mentioned it at some you point. have uh so we are spinning polish likely because we're always spinning and bartek killed the polish president in a plane crash and we are here for october to do our spooky month coverage in which we talk about movies that fall on the more october halloween spooky chiller thriller killer side of film and we recommend movies one after the other. Bartek recommends, then I recommend, then you, the listening people, can recommend films. And this time round, it is you, Bartek, who recommended the film of discussion for this one. Mm -hmm. Don't you see, sometimes you see people, you listen, so you don't get to see Bartek's expression. I said, like, you did this, and he, and he frumped his eyebrows, like, did I? And I'm like, don't do that to me. <laughs> You did this. I know you did this. I you wrote are, it down. You're pointing out something that not even my mind knew that I did. My mind. My mind. Know, my mind. My friend or mind. Did you ever watch Kath and Kim growing up at all? I've the television seen, smash comedy hit I think Kath I've, and Kim. I think I saw one or two episodes on a flight once. One or two. There's these characters that those actresses also play other than Kath and Kim that they work in like they're snooty Melbourne people and they and they always and they're called prude and trude prude and trude and you just talk like them for a moment though. that's why i wanted to reference <laughs> i'm it. i'm the man of five voices this see, episode already <laughs> see you reference fat pizza i reference kath and kim and the listening people out there who are not australian can go fuck themselves because we are talking about friday the 13th 
the original, the OG, the one from 1980 on the dot. Not 81, not 79, 1980. Bartek. Not 13. You recommended this. So do you want to give a, a quick fire pitch of what this is for those who haven't heard of it before? Why are you laughing? Because it's it's Friday the 13th. It's a really funny film, and I'm having a good giggle. Hmm. I also found it funny. Uh, so Friday the 13th, for those of you that have been living under a rock for a really long time or were just born yesterday, <laughs> um, is pretty much the film franchise that I guess codified uh, the slasher killer genre. I mean, I know we had like a... Halloween before this, um, but this one, like I said, codified a lot of conventions for it. It's about a bunch of teenagers who are out in the woods at a at a camp, summer for, camp, summer camp for children. You know, preparing it for the kids, and you know they, they have sex, they have their sex and the drug, um, <laughs> and booze. And for for someone does not like that, and so they want to kill all of them. Yep. It's a slasher film 101, so if you have not seen Friday the 13th and you're somehow worried about spoilers, I mean, if you listen to a previous episode, I just gave it away yeah, straight off the bat because <laughs> it's that well known. Uh, let's go dive in to Crystal Lake. Camp Blood, Ryan. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> so I was okay you, with it in the film, but then I read the trivia and I was like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> you recommended this. Mm-hmm. Why? Give me your reasoning to why and your overall history and relationship. Okay, so history, um, I believe about 10 years ago. Uh, yeah, it was 2012, I believe. Yeah, yeah, on a rainy uh, night. It might have actually been At a really, might have been really late 2011, actually. So, Ooh, you, know. you might have finished Ooh. high school. Uh, yes, that's actually what I'm going with, because I remember we got a phone call during this event <laughs> and... This really feels like it's a horror movie setup. <laughs> I just finished high school. It was at night, raining. I'm making that part up now. And a phone call happened. The phone call was from our friend Stefan, and he was on schoolies. So that kind of you know, oh. tells me the time period. Um, I went to a friend's house, and we were having just like a horror movie night where we watched five horror movies. And I believe this was the fifth one we watched. I don't think anyone of us had ever seen this one. Um, obviously, we knew about it because it's Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Such a pivotal day. Yeah, but none of us had seen it. And I remember me just thinking, oh, that's that franchise, you know, with the Jason and the hockey mask and the, mm. the knife. Um, and I, I kind of, because I knew its reputation, thought to myself, like, oh, okay, this is like going to be, you know, a really creepy slasher film. It's going to be really scary. Um, but then, But then, you know, watching it as a group, it was kind of... You know, a funny experience because it is like such an early example of this genre. You know, it does all of it. Yeah, it does all of it, and it almost in my head, I always kind of categorize this as a so bad it's good film, but it, it's really not. It's just that it was you know such an early example, and it's so sincere in its performances. It's a cheap exploitation, and it's film. it's a cheap exploitation film. That that was kind of the entertainment I got from it. So I always, I, I eventually bought it on DVD because I saw it for really cheap. Um, and I was always just intending to watch it again sometime because oh, I remember having a really good time watching it that first time, you know. Mm. And I think for maybe a year or two now, I've been planning to do it for Spooky Month that we've been doing for Spooky. Pictures Power. Wow. Um, but it just kept falling onto either you know something else that interested me, like Starry Eyes, or it was a foreign pick for me. So 
was missing out on it. Uh, so I have seen this film. I've seen a handful of the Friday the 13th movies. I just have, you know. I am not a huge nut or lover of the slasher genre. I don't hate it. I'm ambivalent about it. I just kind of find it boring, honestly. That's my thing. I'm not the biggest horror genre enthusiast anyway, but I have my preferences and I have my things I like, and I like doing Spooky Month. It's very fun. And when you said Friday the 13th, I kind of sighed, and I was like, why that one? Because it's like, out of the big three, let's just go through three. I mean, there's others, but you have Halloween, you have Friday the 13th, and you have A Nightmare on Elm Street. And like, out of all those three, you chose the one that I find the most boring out of them. <laughs> and no offense to these Friday the 13th heads out there. Uh, it's just, again, with these horror franchises, everyone has their favorites. Everyone loves Freddy or Jason or Michael Myers. And uh, you obviously have your other ones, like your your child's plays, and we could go on. It's a whole gluttonous thing. And I remember this one, and I was bored by it when I first saw it. I I knew before going in that it was Jason's mother, not Jason, because I was always kind of the thing is the Friday the 13th movies were an unexpected franchise. The first film was just a one and done throwaway thing, but it just had so much steam to it that they just barreled forward with like, and fuck the mythos or continuity. We just keep going forward to a point where Jason becomes an undead cursed body that just roams around with powers and stuff so yeah i haven't seen too many of them but i know that they just keep going keep going going. more (laughs) absurd and so the first movie is just the quintessential like straightforward we have all of the tropey cliched archetype young teen young people characters drinking and booze and having sex and being dumb and unlikable and you just watch them be killed one by one by one by one by one by one until there's the final girl, and then the movie ends. You know, that type of thing. Uh, So I revisited it last night, and I've got to say I found it so boring. I watched it on my own. I've never watched it with a group, so I haven't had that group experience, but this was just, to me, the embodiment of, like, why I don't fall head over heels in love with slasher stuff because I find it too rudimentary and formulaic for my taste. Like, once you've seen two or three kills in these, you really get the pattern of what's going to go down here. And this movie, although it has have some interesting gore, I mean, it has Tom Savini doing the makeup, of course, and the effects, it just gets to a point where I'm like, okay, Right, here we go. Lots of classic, if anything, this reminds me of like a 50s horror movie where, or sci-fi film where a lot of 50s sci-fi drive-in movies are, you have a lot of scenes of people in rooms talking or people walking to places and then a quick moment of the sci-fi monster to get the people in the drive-in to go, woo, and then lots of talking and walking and wasting of time until the next bit. And it really reminded me of that, actually. And the music for Friday the 13th is is really bizarre because I was expecting it, because I know it's a Halloween knockoff originally, Yeah. to have more of that John Carpenter-esque riff. But if anything, the music to this reminded me of Psycho. 
the score to Psycho, not the infamous ee, but like the opening credits music and a lot of that rushing thing to it, but with that later 70s, early 80s production to it. But it really reminded me of Psycho. If anything, you would know this when we did Reanimator. The theme song to Reanimator is just a ripoff of Psycho, <laughs> and it really reminded me of that too. No, I've, so. Yeah, I've seen Reanimator and Psycho, but I can't remember the music yeah, well, too well. Uh, that is my overall... Uh, impression thus far how was it for you to revisit it it's been about 10 years to the day if we're going to the day it might actually be 11 but yeah um i i do think that i was yeah Mm. glorifying that that group experience i i didn't hate the film um i wasn't really bored by it i was trying to kind of see it like Put myself in the perspective of like this film just came out in the eighties. What is, no people don't know what a Jason Voorhees is. You know mm-hmm. how, what is this experience going to be like? Um, and it was interesting that even though I haven't seen too many of the Friday the Thirteenth films, like I've seen this one, and I remember on another movie night once Reese uh, started it off by playing the sixth film, which I understand mm. is meant to be the best one. Um, if it's the one I'm thinking of, Jason yeah. lives. Yeah, that's yeah. it's very fun. Yeah, I I can't remember much about it. I can't but... remember if Jason lives is the one with the best kill, but there's one where he grabs a person in a sleeping bag and just grabs it and throws them against the tree, and they just like squash <laughs> and he throws it down. It's very good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I can't remember much about that film, but you know, being someone who's uh you know kind of grown up watching a lot of those Channel Awesome people, there are a couple of them that always did the the horror films or the exploitation films. <clears throat> and I think they've all, you know, gone through each of the Friday the 13th films. As you have to. As you have to. Um, and they all blend together in my head. Like, I remember little bits, like, oh, there's Crispin Glover's in one of them. He does a funny dance. Yeah, yeah and then there's, like, the infamous reputation of them, especially with, like, Siskel and Ebert, how they had a whole, mm-hmm. you know, crusade against the women in danger genre kind of thing. Um, which, when I was reading the trivia for this one, apparently said that Siskel doxed. Betsy Palmer or something like that? Yeah. It's like, how dare you do this film? They were, Roger Ebert and uh, Siskel, beloved, but they did dox people mm. and uh, give them li- give them a life of hell, and that's very wrong of them to have done. We often joke on the podcast that Roger Ebert is our nemesis because he just has some really bizarre takes on films we like, mm. and even though this isn't a film I like, well, 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 let's back it up, back it up. You overall, what did you think? Again, like what we were saying before, it did feel kind of, you know, cookie cutter to the genre because it is like the first one that really codified what these films are going to be. You know, the Mm. dumb teenagers um, being unlikable. Or in this film, Mm. I didn't find all of them all that unlikable. Uh, I think here's where I count you. Tell me one that was likable, where you wanted to follow them and watch them. Well, again, it was more sort of in the middle kind of thing because I do- Ambivalent. Ambivalent, yeah, because watching those guys that I was talking about before, like the Phalus or the the cinema snob people, they've done a lot of these types of films, and especially in the more modern examples, like the characterization of these, you know, kill fodder characters are all just really obnoxious, like douchey people. Mm. Whereas the ones in this film, they felt kind of, you know, normalish. There was like the one who's like a bit of a dick. And, you know, they have, you know, little habits like, oh, it's a strip poker or, or you know, goof around right here. Let's have sex in this place that, you know, the children are going to be sleeping in two weeks. Dress up as Native Americans. Dress up as Native Americans, yeah. So 
they they weren't quite like written to be you know hate sinky like oh I want these people to die kind of thing. Oh, I, I I didn't like. Yes, you're right. They weren't written like that, but they were very annoying. So mm. I didn't care for any of them. Uh not a single one. No, that's fair uh, enough. But what's th- interesting is what's interesting is, and I just want to emphasize this. You know, both you and I talking about how we feel about the film. It goes very quickly to all the elements outside of the film, because that's the thing I think is really important. And I, and I'm curious what a diehard Friday the 13th fan would say, like, I'm sure Alex from the contrarians will listen to this. and I'd love to hear what he has to say, but to me, Friday the 13th, this one film, the film itself is almost irrelevant or unimportant. It's all the stuff around it and after it, that is worth the discussion or the thought it's about, how this franchise grew and became something far more solidified and far more known in the pop culture uh, sphere and the reactions to this film and how funny that is to look back at and all of the behind the scenes production stuff. But to actually sit down and talk about Friday the 13th, the first one, it's got the novelty of it's the one without Jason properly in it. I know there's, a, we can go on, there's other Friday the 13th that kind of players on with that, where Jason's like a weird little slug, but this is the one where it's his mum, and it's like, ooh, and they aren't, they haven't figured out, like, the iconic things, like there's no hockey mask, or there's no real proper, like, there is a machete here, but it's not used in the way that yeah, you know no it to be weapon, used. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's even with the final girl character, they still haven't figured it out the way that they do in the other ones. So the, that's why I'm finding it so curious. Like you, both you and I, will quickly touch upon what we thought of. Oh, we found a cookie cutter. I found it boring. Blah blah, and then want to jump to the stuff around it, the production, the reaction, well, and yeah. what happened in the genre because this movie spawned something else. But by the end of the day, it's like. You watch Friday the Thirteenth, the first one, and it's like eh, it's it's okay. Well, I imagine for Friday the Thirteenth fans, I'm so sorry. I imagine Friday the Thirteenth fans, if you're diehards, it, this is a you watch it because you've got to watch it. It's like it's one. homework. You're saying basically, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say, though, you know, bringing up the whole history about like the genre and like what the franchise becomes, it is interesting to look back on this first one where you know none of that stuff is set in in stone yet um we don't even really know you know outside of foreknowledge who the villain is it is actually a mystery film for a lot of it yes yes it is yes so when i was well, i mentioned before that i was trying to watch it from a perspective of like okay this film 1980 it just came out you know what is this experience going to be and trying to see how that mystery unfolds and you know we do get like two hints right at the beginning about like you know a kid drowned and uh, two counselors got killed you know we actually see that second bit mm-hmm. um and then just like looking out for you know where where are all the other hints going to be and for a lot of it, you know, we have the scene with, like, the, the decoy protagonist girl at the mm. beginning where, like, she goes to the town. She's, like, really nice and friendly. She gets the exposition. Exposition. That the other characters don't. Yeah. Uh, you hear about, oh, camp blood. It's, it's uh, You shouldn't go there. You got crazy Ralph. You're all doomed kind of character. <laughs> See, that's one of those where I, I genuinely want to know from you right now. Was that supposed to be funny or scary? I cannot tell... If- if Crazy Ralph's supposed to be funny or scary, because that bit where he says, you're all doomed, doomed, he sounds 
fucking like Freddy got fingered himself saying Jules and it's... then he rides on the bike very goofily like this older man looks like he rides on like a kid's bike and everything and cutting class well you know a little bit over a decade after this we got Cannibal the musical where we got basically that character again you're all doomed but is he like genuinely was was he funny or scary I don't know I can't tell because the movie is funny like it is on purposely being comedic at points yeah I guess I guess for the audience, that is like a sort of a funny character, but it is meant to foreshadow the scary parts of the film. I guess it's a world building kind of thing, but it's so, you know, non-naturalistic to us that it just ends up being funny. And I think that is part of the appeal of this film. Like there is, Mm. you know, comedy to be found in its sincerity. Mm. Um but what was I saying? Yeah, the, the the mystery. We got like the two little bits at the beginning. We got that scene, and then for a lot of it, it's just okay. We we're not really getting any more pieces. Just someone is killing people, mm-hmm. and it's it's just really long happening. And then once we meet the Betsy Palmer character, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Pamela Voorhees, yes. the mum, it it's like within a minute and a half she goes kind of me. Yeah, it's me, and it's like oh the the, the the resolution to the mystery was a bit too abrupt there, so it kind uh, of yeah. Can you can you clarify for me? Yeah, because this movie was hazy experience watching it because I I just didn't engage. It just didn't grip me. Mm. When did we first meet her? When did she first enter the film? It's when pretty much everyone except the last girl has died. And okay, so the trivia, the trivia on IMDb. If I'm reading it right or wrong, they're like, there's a whole. Th- 13 minutes until we meet her and I'm like is it or am I reading the trivia wrong I have to double check but she's one of those things where it's like why didn't they introduce her in that cafe scene where everyone's there yeah that was like a really clear missing element to the mystery of the film where they they could have at least like when she appears in that scene later on she's like I'm Mrs. Voorhees it's like oh that's the first mention of Voorhees in the franchise there mm. it is and it feels too late. And then she mentions Jason for the first time, like an hour and 15 minutes into the movie, because all we got was a boy died in the lake, nothing else. And then by the near the end of the film, it's like, oh, Jason exposition. Yeah, it's calling back to a very specific line from the very beginning of the film that we didn't really get much information about. Mm-hmm. It was just a little Easter, like a little breadcrumb. And then, a, and then still, like between her introducing herself and like us realizing, oh, this woman is crazy, like she's giving us all this information really quickly, like, oh, that boy drowned he was meant to be watched and then it's like you know two minutes later he was my son by the way and it it felt very quick it it didn't feel like it really paid off the whole mystery of like okay who is killing these people yeah again yeah it's a thing of trying to analyze and break down the nitty-gritty bits of friday the 13th this individual film it all falls to the wayside, and to me, it all is inadequate. Because if you're wanting to look at it as a horror mystery film, it falls apart very easily when it comes to the mystery aspect, because there's no way you would know. Outside of, oh, I know of the Friday the 13th franchise, I know Jason Voorhees, I know he's a boy that drowned in the lake because the camp camp counsellors were having sex. And they should have been minding him, but they weren't. And then he drowned. And now his mum's going crazy, killing people. Like, I know that from general pop culture consumption before I've walked in the movie. But then when you walk into this movie, 
she doesn't exist at all. She's not one of those little characters that pops up. Like, we have so many townspeople pop up here and there, like Crazy Ralph, several police people, that random truck driver that drove the uh, red herring lead. All of that is something to be uh, said. Uh, oh, sorry. My, my, my Betsy Palmer trivia was not... She appears l- less than 13 minutes in total in the film. Oh, screen time. So, screen time, she's yeah, I can less believe than that. 13. Yeah. Um, we have all these other characters, like the random... Must was he a mustache guy? The random like guy that she does kill outside the camp at night, and he's like, "Hey, it's you!" And then we get a POV shot that we had met several times in the movie. Uh, but you can't look at it as a mystery film because there's no mystery. It just is. They're not showing you the killer. Then at the end, they tell you it's this person that you would never have had an ability to know existed. Because why would you? Yeah, you know, it's as if. Bartek, somebody is killing every single member of your family, and like, who could it be? Who could it be? And then it will be a reveal that actually it's this person's mother from another... It was the electrician who was working next door that one time. Yeah. And even then, who knows? But And then you look at it from the horror perspective, and since we are in the modern day and we know what this franchise goes on to be, you look at it and it is just... It's the meat and potatoes. It is just, here's a bunch of scenes of our unlikable, unfollowable, very, I've got to be honest, unmemorable. They're just, they're not memorable characters, even for these types. Just having scenes where they do the thing, they smoke the drugs, they drink the booze, they have the sex, and they do dumb things like leave weapons behind or go out on their own or separate. And you have those scenes until you have what you're actually here for, which is the kills. And I think for someone like myself, and I don't know as much for you, that isn't enough for my viewing experience. Well, I, I don't really, again, that's why I don't really get into the slashes. It's not like I'm affronted by them, but I need more you mentioned, than just, you are here for the kills. You, you mentioned before that, like, of the big three, like, this is the one that appeals to you the least. Like, I actually agree, like... I haven't seen much from the other ones. I've seen the original Halloween, mm-hmm. and I've actually only seen the reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street. I I'm mean, so sorry. I haven't seen any of the I'm Babylon so 5 guy ones. I'm so sorry. I love that you call him the Babylon 5 guy. <laughs> like, four years ago, the you would have been The grey 17 is missing, guy. Yeah, like, three years ago, you would have been affronted to even say that out of your mouth, because it's like, <laughs> stop mentioning Babylon that, 5. Now that, you're the guy who does it. Congratulations, you're me now. Well, no, once I start talking about Star Trek, then we're really talking. <laughs> then, oh, okay, Bartek, I'm going to give you a little little FYI. Uh, start Star Trek Next Gen. Just start it. By the time we finish the podcast, you'll have watched all of Star Trek. There we go. And you'll have watched Saved by the Bell for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and S Club 7. And I've consumed S Club 7. <laughs> Listen to all their music. Yeah. Not even I have. And, and their movie <laughs> that you wanted us to do on the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you... Uh, we'll do that next month. Yeah, it's just one of those things where I'm just not drawn into that. And are you as much... Like, when it comes to your horror viewing experience, I know you're not as uh, gluttonous for the horror genre as well. We're not... It's not, Again, we're not against it. It's just we just watch other things. You watch a bunch of your weird little animes. I watch a bunch of I my think, sci-fi crap. I think, actually, going back to that Nightmare on Elm Street reboot, I saw that one in the cinema. I'm so sorry. And I... Th- I think that might have been one of the first horror films that I actually properly watched. 
Okay, so that kind of fills us all in where Bar takes that. How do you feel about that, though, in general, in terms of these movies that are manufactured for the gore set piece or the kill set piece? You have the Saw films, for instance, that are very well known for that. Uh, I'm not, and again, I'm not referencing the quality of these films, just how they are, what their functions are. Pretty much when it comes to mean horror, I much more lean into the psychological elements. So, you know, you've got your perfect blue where the character mm. thinks that she's going crazy kind of thing. Um, and even with Cube, like, you know, they're in such a crazy situation. They don't know who, what's, what circumstances have led them into the situation. Talking about a mystery. They have to, yeah, mystery. Um, they have to somehow work together. You know, can they trust each other? Like, these kind of issues that really attack the mind, where not necessarily if the horror has to be us, mm. but, you know, the, the horror has to be some sort of fear of the unknown kind of thing. Mm. And this is where I want to talk about the film itself, but at the same time, I'm like, what do I say? There was that goofy scene where we had that makeup effect that Tom Savini did that looked good. Like, when Kevin... Kevin Bacon's in the movie. There you go. Kevin Bacon's here. Mm -hmm. Did you recognise him? Yeah, he was there. Did you recognise him? I knew he was in the film, so I was like, oh, there he is. Oh, there you go. You, you knew that. And he gets the, the, you know, the arrow shoved through his neck, and, uh, look, that's a cool effect, and all the blood's coming out, and... Yet, I found none of the scenes actually tense or scary. That's the thing, too. Like... Is this a film that you understand that it could have been perceived as scary? Because I think with a lot of these older slasher films, we look at them with how time has gone and how they've diluted themselves and how much campier and campier and campier they got. That is kind of a little bit difficult to go back and see them as actually scary films uh, for some people, uh, me included. Like, I watch. Halloween, and I can I, I get it. Like I understand that that's scary, but also I like I remember there's like other Halloween movies that are like stupid, and it kind of like takes me in and out. But Friday the Thirteenth, I find it really hard to get myself in the shoes of actually thinking that this is scary. What about you? Do do you do you see the fear that this could have brought the actual genuine chills, thrills, horror? Did it happen to you? Um, well, no, I wasn't scared while watching it, no, but there were, there were some scenes where, obviously, it was building up to a, like, ooh, when's it gonna happen kind of thing, kind of like, almost like a proto-jump scare sort of thing, mm -hmm. you know, you got the silence, the characters, you know, scared, you know, not- They're doing something stupid. Funny. Even if they're not doing something stupid, like, they're just, you know, washing their hands or they're trying to turn the power back on, something like that, you know, they hear a little sound, something weird happening. There was one woman in the film who- you know, she just heard a voice outside from what sounded like a child mm -hmm. crying for help, and she, you know, out of the goodness of her heart, went out to try to see what happened and got herself killed for it. Silly, silly. Yeah. Silly. You can't trust those kids at night. Uh, that is one of the things that is so frustrating to me as well is, and this is something that the I think the very next film uh, addresses, mm -hmm. there's no kids. It's like, it's a camp, summer camp. Yeah, they're, they're getting ready for it. But at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, I kind of wish that these were happening when kids were there. And what would that be like? And that's the films address that. The films actually go to that. That's, again, and one of those things where there are so many 
great foundations for set pieces and creative ideas to emerge from this. This is a blueprint. That's how I look at this film. It's a blueprint for what you could do with something rather than a constructed thing. Uh, like on a level of stroking my chin and thinking ooh, philosophically and musically musing about writing it's quite clever and quite interesting that jason isn't actually the killer in this because he's dead seemingly and that it's his mother who's been driven insane by the fact that she took her kid to a summer camp and the people that were in charge of his well-being let him drown because they were too busy fucking and she's like this weird puritanical nut job and she goes on a killing spree whenever this could emerge again. And that's a twist. I stroke my chin and go, that sounds really interesting. Really well clever done. I watch it though and I weighing in my hands, which do I actually prefer to watch? This, where it's the, the mother, how she's flailing around a machete and it's like this little old lady. Or the guy in the hockey mask. <laughs> Which do I actually want to watch? Which do I want? Do I want to see Jason, or do I want to see his mum? <laughs> and it's like, on a on a on a thought wave level, I can understand the mum one, but by gosh, I did miss Jason throughout this whole entire viewing experience. I'm like, ah oh, man, you know, I get what they're doing because they didn't know that they were going to spawn a franchise again. They didn't know. Yeah. But by God, I really did wish that Jason was here proper. I thought that throughout the entire thing. That's fair enough, but I think, yeah, just talking back about, like, the flaws of the film, like, the execution really could have made that character much better, the mum character, because the performance, I thought, was actually quite good. Like, whenever she... Yeah, yeah, she was good at being when she was talking, but when it was the fight scenes and she's, like, grabbing this much taller woman than and younger woman than her and throwing her around and it's like... And then to un like defeat the villain, there's this bit where the lady, our uh, main last girl, final girl, just like hits her back and it just knocks her over. And she's down for like a good while because she's an old lady. I get uh, to go back to what we're this talking- is a Norman Bates dressed up as an old lady running around, <laughs> but scarier. To bring it back to last week when we did the trip, um, I kept calling Peta the the main mm. antagonist of that film, like oh slash villain character because he just keeps going down, he's not getting up. Mm-hmm. I guess they hadn't quite worked that out with mm. this character here. Like when she was That's Michael. When she was still Halloween. a Yeah, when she was still a mystery, mm-hmm. you know, there was like, oh man, this Like she could defeat full grown men. She could defeat anyone. She she didn't say a word. We didn't even know who this character was, but you can see the fear in other people's eyes, like when they realize what's happening. Um but then once that mask or the veil gets taken away, like, yeah, I guess she is at the mercy of her age and circumstances. Yeah, I and it's very funny. We did spook we've done spooky month, right? The mm-hmm. trip last episode, there were some tense scenes, but I was never actually scared, but it was a comedy, so it was fine. Mm. But then when we did Cube, right? We did Cube at one point at the very beginning of this, and there were scenes where both you and I were scared and tense. Like, you brought up... The silence You were eager to bring up scenes that were effective. Here, not so eager to bring up any other than, like, oh, that was funny, or, like, that was a thing that happened. Like, or- that, that scene with the, the childlike voice coming outside, that was the most effective scene, because also she was the slightly more likable character, and also when you think back on that this is actually a woman, Jason's mother, calling out, or even if you want to be all stroke your chin, maybe it is Jason calling out, because you have the ending, maybe he's still down there. Ooh. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. And that actually colors the film when you look back at that sequence. See, I wish there was more of that type of thinking here, but it is really, it's just kills happening until they reveal just some outside force that you would never have thought about. It's like, well, yeah, whenever we want to talk about, you know, something effective, horror in this thing, like I keep thinking back to that Betsy Palm performance, like the little mm. things that she did, I'm like, oh, that was good. Like whenever she did like the, she she had some sort of like split personality thing going on where mm. she would do like the child voice, mm. and I thought the child voice that she was doing was actually really good. Like there was yeah, she, her voice didn't crack at all, which I would imagine for a lot of people it would. You know, trying mm. to force yourself to be a child, it gets a bit scratchy. Mm. But for her, it was very clear. There is more thought process in the film than you see. So, for instance. Betsy Palmer, apparently, according to trivia, method actress, or really detailed for herself what the backstory is for this character. And I look at it, and I read it, and I said, I wish that was in the film. I wish that was actually there. Because that's interesting. Like, her version of it is she was this girl who got pregnant out of wedlock and was exiled because she came from, like, a puritanical family, and then the kid is like deformed or something or rather and then all this stuff happens at the camp and that just drives her crazy and now she hears the voice of her son in her head telling her to kill people wish that was in the film yeah some of that is there you can see some of it but that is the actress bringing that that's the thought process or the the iconic the as you said it was the that there according to at least the trivia is actually it's a Ki 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 ma 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 because it's saying kill 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 ma 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 ma. Oh, interesting. And that's like what she hears in her head all the time, mm-hmm. and it's this distorted thing. That's thought process. That's interesting. That's really cool, and it gives so much weight to that opening scene where that's what we're hearing. It's this woman who's just hearing kill 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 ma 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 all the time. Yeah, that's great. See, you're you're you're, you're sitting up in your chair now while we talk about that. What's the film though? And it's just, like, that's cool. I wish wish more of that stuff or the little kid voice being actually her voice outside. I wish there was more stuff like that in the film rather than just, hey, she's going to the toilet in her underpants. But that's how you get these movies made. Yeah, she's doing an impression. Yep, to do a little TNA. Yeah, if this film could just learn from Scooby-Doo and introduce the villain at some point in the beginning, like... (laughs) If this film could learn one thing, it should be from Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo started in the 60s, man. They had time. And, like, I bring that up, obviously, to make you laugh, but you you even mentioned it earlier this episode. Like, put her in the diner at the beginning. Put her in the film throughout it. Have her be a relevant factor. Have her mentioned. Have her mentioned. Like, when I was reading up about the film afterwards, I was- I couldn't tell you why they didn't mention Jason properly until near the very end. I couldn't tell you why. Like, they gave us the kid drowned thing- but the actual name drop and like more of it that's, didn't happen until like the very when end. When she first appears, she's like, I'm Mrs. Voorhees. And that's the first time you ever hear Voorhees. And you like, hear it before Jason. And, and you're yeah. like, okay. It's like, wow, this this line means a lot in the modern day where we know, you know, who Jason is, who his mother is, what the Voorhees name is. Mm-hmm. But in here, it's just dropped there out of nowhere. And it's she says it in a way that almost makes it sound like you should know who I am. We often have talked about 
on this podcast when they do remakes of things or reimaginings or reboots. It's like, wouldn't it be great instead of trying to reboot this beloved thing? Like recently they announced that they're doing a new Naked Gun. Oh, with really? Liam Neeson as Frank Drebin. Okay. And, yeah, and your reaction says it all. Why? Why do that? Why do that? Why bother doing that? It's a lightning in a bottle success. Why would you do that? We often have said on this podcast- Is Liam Neeson known for a sense of humor? No, but nor was Leslie Nielsen until he did those- I guess that's a good point, but- But that's the thing, right? You see, you go, why are you doing that? You, You can't do it again. We often said, wouldn't it be great if they remade things or rework things that were somewhat interesting, but they kind of fucked it up? Yeah. That's the Friday the 13th franchise, where the first film, there's some interesting things there. You squint- and you read some stuff, and you listen in, there's some there's some flavor here. Oh, wouldn't it actually be cool if the kids were at the camp? Wouldn't it actually be cool if Jason was an actual thing, their presence in the in the thing? Like, wouldn't it be cool if so on and so forth? And that's what they do. That's what they proceed to do. Now, I'm not saying these films are good. I'm Again, I don't find them as interesting, but they did that exact thing. But back in the 80s, they took the success of this film... And actually spun it into things that you kind of wish that was more prevalent or present here. Even though, weirdly enough, the gore and the kills get more reduced because of censorship as time went on. It's those ideas, those those moments of tension. Because is there a single moment here, like a like an like a, a single moment from this first film where you go, yes, I know that as a famous thing from Friday the 13th, other than the setting and those character types? Like, was there a scene or a visual moment where you're like, that's a Friday the 13th thing? Is there? Was there any in this? The closest I have is Jason jumping out of the lake. Like, that's a thing. That's like an iconic like, yeah, visual from the film. That you would associate for Friday the 13th. Um, I almost wanted to say the crazy Ralph character, but... You doomed. I, I do think more of yeah, Cannibal the Musical, and I don't. I think a troll too as well for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I think with that archetype, I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly where it originated from. So when it happened in this, I'm like, oh, okay, this was the thing that did it. Like you but... have the you have the the title card that's pretty iconic. Mm. You have the thing. Well, that's I was going to say that, but you said visual. So. But like visual, like because that's a part of it. It's like the kills, the thrills. Like I just said to you, I'm pretty sure it's Jason 6 that has that kill with the sleeping bag and it's really fun. Or I think it's Jason Lives Again where the opening is a James Bond parody whereas Jason does the James Bond and he hacks it and it bleeds Jason Lives. That's iconic. Or the fact that, you know, lightning strikes his grave and he rises from the dead. Like that's Iconic. I associate that or the hockey mask and how I think it's the the third film he gets the hockey mask. Yeah, that's what And Jason's 3D is, I think, the one too where he gets an axe in his hockey mask, which gives it the famous crack in the hockey mask, which goes on for the rest of the films. But when he first gets it, it's a normal hockey mask. It's it's clean, it's pristine. But you see, like, oh, they're building towards it. Oh, the things that we know. But here, other than like the setting which they say a million times, by the way. It is one of those, if they didn't know this was going to be a franchise, why did they say it so much? Like, they want you to know that this is that camp. That like, camp. Camp they, Crystal Lake. They kept saying it the, over The alliteration and over again. title, Camp Crystal 
Lake. They kept saying Crystal Lake, Camp Crystal Lake, and Camp I, Blood. I, I really felt like I was watching a parody because <laughs> Camp Crystal Lake has gone beyond everything. Like it's been referenced in so many horror things, unironically as well as ironically, that it's lost all vigor to me now. So when I actually visited it again, this film, they mention it like fifty times in like two <laughs> scenes. I was like, are they having a laugh? I like the trivia point that mentioned like, oh, the original title of the film was something something at Camp Blood, which is why in the beginning so many of the townspeople were like pushing that name. I think you're right, though. The boat scene's, like, the only thing I can think of that's, yeah, like, really iconic visual from the film that's specific, like, not a template, because the whole Mm. film is, like, a template for the slasher genre. Mm -hmm. And the Friday the 13th genre. Yeah. Genre films. Uh, I want to talk about Siskel and Ebert. Okay, I'm going to take a drink. He's taking a drink of blood. It is red. Why put the lid back on if you're going to just take it off again? Yeah, you're right. It makes a noise too. See, this is why you listen to Spit and Polish for the spitting hot takes about drinking during the pod. Because it makes a noise like this. Oh, that was actually quite loud. And then when you open it... There yeah, it is really loud. This That's ASMR yeah. freaks. You just got a got a good dosage there. No, that that messed it up. It was too loud. <laughs> too too loud. They like it soft. They like it soft. Ryan can edit it to be soft. So I can make it soft. Oh, I can make it louder. Depends what Daddy likes. So let's talk about Siskel and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert. I had a good chuckle because we're Australians and we're not from the time period that this movie came out. Let alone the reign of Siskel and Ebert as critics. So it's very funny when reading all of the moral outrage about this film that I think is quite light and boring and lifeless and not at all scary and I don't find it affronting in any way. While something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of those films that I still find to be very confronting, even though it doesn't actually have a lot of violence in it, but it's just so oozing and just grossness. That I can understand a little bit more. This, though? I had a, I had a big old laugh reading about, like, the absolute, like, how could they do this to all the women? It's like, they did it to the guys, too! <laughs> I don't know, like, how do you feel? You read some of this stuff, you know I, some of this stuff. Yeah, how, I, I mean... More so of the know some of this stuff thing. So I didn't read anything specific about the response to this first one. But, yeah, growing up, being a fan of Cinema Stop and all that, and uh, I've listened forever ago to a podcast that was talking about their whole crusade against women in danger films, as they called it. Yeah, it is it's part of <laughs> quite a huge moral outrage that they had. Where it's part of the reason why Ebert hated Blue Velvet. Yeah, it's. I remember, I think specifically the fourth film, the one that was called The Final Chapter, <laughs> yeah. um, was one that really got to them where they said, I think on their TV show, like their review show, something like, this is a, they didn't say nihilistic film, but this is a film that just teaches you that one day you're going to die and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. Your life has no meaning because mm-hmm. you're just, you know, another kill for, you know, the killer. Yeah, speak, speak, speaking to truth to power there. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. That's a bad thing? It's a horror film, mm. dumbasses. Maybe <laughs> that's the point. So? These poor women, Ryan. The women, they got killed. So did the guys. So does, so, the does other Jason. Half, so does the other half of the cast, yes, but the women. <laughs> Crispin Glover doesn't make it. I'm so sorry to tell you that. 
Fuck, he's not a mainstay? They stick a corkscrew in his hand. Yeah. They... He has a very funny line delivery about that too. He's like asking for the corkscrew and he has his hand on the countertop. He's in the kitchen looking for it. And and J- Jason, of course, sticks it in his hand and sticks his hand to the countertop. But he, Crispin Glover delivers it weird. He's just like, he's like doing shit in the kitchen and he calls out for another guy's name and he's like, uh, hey, hey, uh, let's say it's Billy. Hey, Billy, uh, uh, corkscrew. And it just gets corkscrew immediately in the hair, like comedic <laughs> editing down to its brilliant timing there. But I mean, is it just that violence, the depiction of it has increased or changed since this? Or was was it just the pa- moral outrage was even too overblown for the times? Because I'm looking at this and I'm just like, really? I feel like there are films from this time that were more like worthy of vigor and scorn. Even then, I wouldn't say you that's mentioned, true. You mentioned before, I can't remember the context, that this felt like a film, or parts of the film felt like it was like from the 50s mm-hmm. or something like that. And when we think about you know our understanding of American culture, like the 50s is a time that we really associate to, you know, the, the high values that they need mm-hmm. to instill in every film. Like we talked about it with The Streetcar Named Desire, where... That film did not warrant a uplifting mm-hmm. end note, and yet because of the times, they had to have one, have you know, just a quick line just to end it on a higher note. Or even when we did bus stop, and we were mm-hmm. saying like, this is a relationship that wouldn't work, but because of the time it was made, it is going to work. And that's David Lynch's entire filmography in a lot of ways is deconstructing and parodying and skewering those fifties mm. to early sixties. Films. Yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing maybe, you know, when this film was released, the generation shift hadn't quite fully maybe flipped over mm-hmm. to a more modern era because, you know, nowadays, like we mentioned it, like the, the, the typical version of this film these days has just hate sinky teenagers who, mm-hmm. are, you know, they're very obnoxious um, and the kills, you know, whether they are more gory or not, usually... They're they're familiar with the genre and they'll find ways of shaking up like, oh, just how depraved this thing can get. Mm. And so when we look at this film compared to these modern examples, it is very tame by comparison. Like, still very good Mm. practical effects for some of the kills, but... Very good. But... Like we said, the the characters uh, formed a little bit differently. Like, it feels like these characters, oh, they got some sort of backstory going on, but they don't have a full arc because this is the type of film it has. Yeah, I... It's it's very amusing because I think we just see it with films now even. There are those people out there, whether they're Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel, or even, and I don't mean this as a joke, Armand White, for instance, who is that film critic who like gives negative reviews to all the best films and gives positive reviews to all the worst films. Like, I, like Grown Ups 2 is one of his favorite movies ever, but The Dark Knight fucking sucks. And he's, uh, you know, and he's a black guy and his name is Armand White. So having fun with that one. And they grab these movies that really seem innocuous in the grand scheme of things and choose those as a platform for their moral outrage at whatever they feel. And you see that with a lot of films that tackle, say, really tough subject matters like gay, uh, you know, like uh, sexuality or drug use, or in this case, it's just a horror film. Horror genre has always been the one where these 
people, whether they be film critics or politicians or whatever, just gravitate towards it because they have the ability to be more openly depraved because it's about killing. It's about murder. It's about violence. Tarantino, why is there so much violence in your movie? Because it's so much fun, Jan. And yet, for an actual normal average person, you look at it and you go, why? Why are we getting so heated about the fact that this film, Friday the 13th, has an old lady's head get cut off in a blurry shot with a machete? Why are we worrying about that? It's totally fine. Because and this I'm not, is the future of our country. And I'm not even saying that from just a 2022 perspective. There were movies back then when this came out that have far more confronting things in them, whether they be direct shown or just implied. And it's just so funny to just think about it because... We still do it today. There are still those people who grab these movies, whatever they are, like the Joker. Remember when the Joker came out and there was like a moral outrage and panic about it? It's like all incels and it's inciting violence. And the, the talk about the film was more prevalent than the film. I remember, I think I'd seen the film before I heard any of that talk mm-hmm. and I just didn't understand it at all. <laughs> yeah, and there you go. Martin Scorsese already existed at this point when this film came out, Friday the 13th. He was putting out films with, like, lots of, like, very, f- like, adult material, but it's like, well, he's artistic, so it's fine. Mm. This isn't artistic oh, what was for that, those what was snooty that term? people. This is popcorn entertainment. What was that term you used? If you're, uh, elevated horror? Elevated horror. See, that's okay now, but this isn't elevated horror. This is just the cheap thrills and kills, but it's so funny because in the 50s, we had the same thing with horror films and mainly sci-fi films where the creature features, creature features, where you have to wait for the creature to come up and you have to have a bunch of boring scenes with you know, mild kissing and science talk. <laughs> and that's fine. That's what they were. Not even just because censorship, but that's just how films were. A lot more talky. It's like whenever you watch an old Godzilla movie and now you watch a new Godzilla movie. And it's very amusing, the slight differences. I would say slight because there's not that many. They're still talky. Uh, Got to save the practical effects for the big scenes. It's like Shin Godzilla is like like the new... I think that's one of the newer Godzilla movies. It was just a film about like all these people problem-solving what if Godzilla happened today? <laughs> like what if Godzilla went into Tokyo? What would you do? Uh, but... I have nothing much else to say about this, like the actual film, because we can keep circling around and around about what its legacy is, what its influence is, what its reaction was. But again, it's just that's that's been covered a lot. But I, I'm curious, is there anything else you want to touch upon, talk about, delve into, go over? I did like the music in the film, especially at the end when you had the that really kind of grand but very still melancholic music mm-hmm. that plays in the final scene and during the credits where it's like, yeah, the, the villain's been taken down, but what was the meaning behind that boy in the lake? Like, what's yeah, going on? Is and he just, still there? And this music, it's like, we're done, but there's, there's more that hasn't been explained. There's an almost angelic quality to it. Yeah, that's kind the, of what I mean. The music threw back to a lot of other time periods and movies that I found very bizarre, considering, again, the purpose of this was to ride off the coattails of Halloween. They admit that, and yet it sounds nothing like Halloween's music, because 
This is a film made in 1980. There is a lot of 1980s-isms to this already, even though it's just started the decade. Mm. But the music sounded not so much. Well, Halloween, it does, because that's John Carpenter's thing. He likes the synthesizers and all of that. So when you watch the old Halloween, you have a bit of that 80s taste to it, even though, you know, it isn't. Uh, and yet when you listen to the music to this, it does have a lot of the sixties and and earlier seventies sound to it. Like to me, that final piece of music really reminded me of something like something that Brian De Palma would have in his films, like, like, uh, like Carrie. That sounds like a piece of music in Carrie. They, and there's uh, another one. The, Carrie's the like trivia, a, a fucking more brutal confronting. The film. trivia kept bringing up Carrie. It was like, yeah. oh, we we saw the ending of Carrie, and you know, we needed something big like that. Mm-hmm. There you go. I mm. don't think they really went bigger than that, but that's no. fine. And only other thing, I guess, is you brought it up last week, and it wasn't a thing I knew. But then when it happened in the film, and then I read stuff about it afterwards, I was like... Oh, yes, yes. If there was a moment that scared me the most, it was when they killed an actual animal on screen for no real reason. That was, yeah, the, the no real reason is the big they, thing They there. apparently have a reason for it, and I read it, but it's not good enough. Well, the reason was just like, oh, it was a last second idea. Yes, but also the thought process is it shows us, the audience, that our camp counsellors are actually capable and actually can defend themselves and are actually able to kill, and it sets up the machete. It does do things. I guess. It's not completely pointless, but it is one of those things where you go, you can just use an effect for that. We we have to kill a real snake. I love, I don't know if this is true, because even this trivia point says this may not be true. Did you read the one point where it's like, and it's been said that the owner of the snake wasn't told about this and he was crying off screen while this happened. And I'm like, I would love to know if that's true. Yeah, I didn't read. And I would love to have seen that. Yeah, I didn't read my trivia on IMDb, but all of the ones that I did read was talking about how you know, the, the snake was owned by a handler mm-hmm. and they didn't tell him that they were going to kill the snake. And apparently, I think it even mentioned like it was his pet snake that was mm-hmm. really sick or something like that. Cruel. Yeah, it's it just... Seems very, again, because it was ultimately kind of pointless to the film, just really weirdly cruel. Uh, to go a bit broader, uh, good friend Alex from the Contrarians podcast, people should listen to Contrarians podcast, I, I, I made him watch Bad Boy Bubby, which is a film that also kills animals. Uh, but that film, I think, does it in a more uh, tasteful way, weirdly, and a far less... Like, you're not actually watching the actor on screen kill the animal. Mm. You are watching an actor play with an animal and then it cuts to a dead one. This, you're actually watching the head of a a snake get cut off. And, oh, maybe it's fine because it's a snake. Snakes are far more removed from us because we don't find them cutesy. But, uh, yeah, Yeah, it was was the most emotionally moving, the most emotionally moving scene to me because I knew it was a real thing and it just didn't need to happen. Like, this scene doesn't need to exist. They don't need to do this. Everyone's acting like a fucking idiot during it as well. Like, guys dive bombing onto the bed and breaks the bed. It's like like a whole... Pillow fighting? It's a whole carnival of stupid and... Yeah. It made me miss... See, see, if that's if that's something... See, that's something to get morally outraged about. Like, that's something. Mm. Oh, no, we've got to worry about the fictional women that get killed in this rather than the literal animal. <laughs> Fuck that shit. 
it's hard to because some films it's like I can still like them even though they kill an, an actual animal in it. Like I said, I, I enjoy Bad Boy. Enjoy. I like Bad Boy Bubby. I like Apocalypse Now. They still kill animals in them. Uh, again, Bad Boy Bubby does it with through cuts and it changes from one to the other. What was the animal in Apocalypse Now? It's like a boar. A boar, okay. Uh, depends which version you watch. Maybe I didn't watch that version. I don't know. Yeah, well, there's like 14 versions. Really, Jesus? I joke. <laughs> but there's even a new version. That's from more the... That's more entries than Friday the 13th. Or I thought you were going to say Blade Runner <laughs> with its cuts. <laughs> a perfect film, by the way, Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, so are we ready to get a recommendation for the next episode? Next yes. episode's movie recommendation will come from me. Yes, Friday the 13th not... Part 2. Well, you got me. It was acting. Now, <laughs> I am going old, old movie. We've we went. Ooh. We've we, we've done the you know a few. We've done a newer movie. We've done like yeah. We've actually kind of gone back a little bit. We we had like 2014 with Stroker. What was it 2013 Stroker? Then we, we at point one point in the what Stoker Stroker Stoker <laughs> Woker. Uh, Stroker, yeah, Cube Stoker, in the late nineties. This late was early eighties. Early eighties. The trip was last year. Yeah, actually, yeah. Bam, 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 bam. We've actually we're missing the two thousands. We're just skipping past the two thousands. Mm. I'm skipping past the seventies and the sixties. I'm going to the fifties. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the fifties, I want to do the haunting. The haunting. The original, not the Owen Wilson. One made in the nineties with Catherine Zeta Jones. Okay. Talking yeah. about nostalgia critic. And all channel awesome people. That's his favorite film, the original, The Haunting. That is his favorite film. It's one of his favorite films. That's why oh. he has such a visceral reaction of, okay. to the '90s film starring Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the funny enough. guy. Yeah, the funny guy. Well, that's a funny film, the '90s one, but it's bad. Uh, and that '90s film, we won't watch. Don't don't do that. We've already done the '90s film. We are just doing the '50s original. I was tossing up between this and another film, but I want to go with this one because I haven't. I personally have not seen this film. Mm-hmm. It's been on my watch list. The other film I want to do was The Innocence, which I have seen, but I want to do the The Haunting because it's a classic and it's been on my watch list for a while. And I'm pretty sure you haven't watched it either. No, I haven't. But you being a big Channel Awesome fan, you know of it. You know of it. Yet you're looking at me I, like no, I, I remember. Not. I remember that review. Yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. it's like in a house, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, a haunted house. The house. That's the film's name. There's a film called House. Monster House. There's a Japanese horror film we could have done called House or Houseu. Houseu. <laughs> it has a very iconic poster. Um, uh, we could have watched that, but we're not. We're, we're not. Talk- <laughs> we're not. <laughs> Sound very British there. We're not. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> We're not, you wanker. Now go fuck yourself. Now that's then, old school. And then I go modern day British. Are you fucking bruv? You can't. Uh, I'm going to vape. I'm going to vape now. I'm one of those, Yeah. The queen died. I'm going to vape on her grave. So that is it, people. You can follow us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter and yell at us about how we're wrong about Friday the 13th or praise us. Uh, all of this is in the description as well as our email address, which is... Our email address is spitandpolished at gmail.com. Yeah, that, that's correct. The full email address is, our email address is spitandpolished at gmail.com. Write that all okay. in. Oh, and clarification, when we say at, it's the symbol. Like, press, yes, hold yes, shift, symbol. press two. <laughs> yes, that's it. Thank you for reminding me that it's the two. Yeah. I rarely remember 
the actual physical locations of those keys on the board. I I still look. I'm like, where's at? Dollar at? is four. I think six is the carrot. The carrot. <laughs> or or the, the power of symbol. Thank you, thank you, the carrot. And that is all we have got for you for this entry into Spooky Month. Make sure to give the next film I watch in the interim of time so you get spooked. Yes, give us a recommendation of a film that makes you say something and at the end you put some shift ones, if you know what I mean. 